back on. Good, good. There we are. My fault. So let's just get this out of the way first. I'm wearing a tie. There's nothing like going on. I'm not going to like have some really terrible announcement that I'm prepping you for. I just decided I wanted to wear a tie this morning. Okay, so we we are a tie-friendly church. If you'd like to wear a tie, you may as well. You don't have to. I had this. Um, I had a friend in in seminary who who was a lawyer. Had practiced law for ten years before he came to seminary. He was used to wearing a suit and tie. And um, every time we had a test in class, he would put on a suit and a tie because it made him feel like he was like going to work. He was getting ready. He was like kind of getting in his in his mood to go take a test. And uh, there was this one time where he had like a an interview or something at the end of the day. And so he came to class wearing a suit and a tie, and the whole class freaked out because they're like, "Is there a test today?" Oh no! So, there's no test today. It's just, just a tie. We are continuing and really about to finish up. Next week we will finish up the series that we've been in called Matters of the Heart. We've been looking at Matthew chapter 5. So if you've got a Bible, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 5 and follow along with me. This is a series where Jesus talking to his disciples and talking to... Quite a few people, part of the, discern, the Sermon on the Mount, is talking about Old Testament laws, how they've been manipulated oftentimes by the teachers of the day, and then bringing that discussion to the level of the heart. Listen as he talks about retaliation here. This is Matthew 5, starting at verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would open our our ears and our eyes, that you would soften our hearts. Lord, oftentimes we're really bad uh, at conflict. <laughs> and these are striking words. Uh, they feel like words that are maybe even too hard for us to hear. But Lord, as has been the case throughout this series, listening to you teach, they are words that penetrate to our hearts. So I ask, Lord, that you would soften our hearts, that your word might sink in that you might change us, and that we also might hear and know your grace, your love toward us. We pray this all, Lord, in your Son's name. Amen. I want to start with a question that we're really going to kind of ponder today. And that question is, what do you do, how do you respond when you are wronged? When somebody has wronged you, when you are in conflict with someone else, how are Christians called to respond? And to answer this question, I want us to do a little kind of word picture. We're going to go on a little mental journey here. And I want you to pretend like you are an alien that has come and dropped into American culture. You can be whatever kind of alien you want. We're not going to judge. Um, you've dropped into American culture, and you're trying to figure out the answer to that question. What am I supposed to do? What do Americans do when they are wronged? Well, if you happen to drop into a typical movie theater... Or if you happen to drop in in somebody's living room and look through maybe their DVD collection, if you just were answering that question through the movies, you probably could pretty easily answer it with, 
Well, when you're wronged, you fight back. You retaliate. The Godfather is on Netflix now. It's one of my favorite movies of all time, so I've been re-watching it over and over. I love The Godfather. But there is this running theme, of course, in The Godfather of this idea of Sicilian justice, right? Is that when they take one of yours, you've got to take one of theirs. In fact, uh, in the movie The Untouchables, Al Capone has this great line where he says, you know, if he pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He takes one of yours, you take two of his. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. There's this idea that when you are wrong, you have to retaliate and you have to fight back even with more force, more power than was initially uh, administered to you. And this is all throughout all kinds of movies and books. The Count of Monte Cristo, classic book. It's really built on a revenge story. Things like Django Unchained, a new movie, or um, V for Vendetta, or... I mean, really, you just name it, and it's all over. The Princess Bride, all about revenge. And, of course, Revenge of the Nerds. It's all throughout our movies, right? So if you were an alien and you were answering that question, what do I do when somebody has wronged me? The movie answer would be you retaliate, you fight back, you bring justice in some way. Now, interestingly, though, if you were that same alien and you had dropped instead of into a movie theater, you had dropped into an elementary school. And you were walking around the halls of an elementary school and you were seeing, you know, the proliferation of anti-bullying campaigns. The message you probably would hear is something totally opposite of that, which is when someone wrongs you, you remove yourself. You walk away. You turn away. You remove yourself from the situation altogether. You go find a grown-up or a teacher or somebody like that. But really, when somebody wrongs you, your responsibility is to pull back. It's interesting, actually, that matches up pretty well with the natural animal response that all animals and humans have to danger, which is fight or flight. That's the natural response. If you look at kind of in the animal kingdom, when there's danger, usually they're going to respond one way. They're going to respond either by fighting back or they're going to respond by fleeing and running away. And that's often the times that we, that's often the ways that we deal with things when there's conflict in our lives as well. We either fight back and we want to retaliate or we remove ourselves completely. What Jesus actually goes through here in this passage, though, is something that is different altogether. It really is a a third way of acting that is very different than the two kind of polar extremes given to us by our culture. Jesus calls us to something very different. And we're going to get there to that answer. But let's get there actually by looking kind of at the background of this, the Old Testament background of what Jesus has talked about. Yet we have been talking throughout this series about we've seen Jesus who's taken uh, an Old Testament principle and it's an Old Testament principle that has been manipulated by the teachers of his day to mean something different. And usually that manipulation has formed itself around some sort of transactional type of relationship in religion. What I mean by transactional is I bring God my ability to kind of meet all of the rules and the requirements and in that transaction then he gives me his love and acceptance. So what I bring to the table is I've obeyed the rules however those rules are kind of laid out and what God gives me for obeying the rules is love and acceptance. That was the general thought in many ways of, of, the, of the teachers uh, of the Jewish teachers of Jesus' day. 
And unfortunately, it's the general thought of many of us. That is the way that we oftentimes think about our relationship with God. I perform, He loves. It's a one-to-one kind of relationship. And what Jesus has been doing throughout all of this is he's been taking, really, he's been breaking apart their argument and been showing, listen, as much as you try, even if if you were to try to obey everything so that God would love you, you couldn't. And he brings it down into the heart level and he begins to show us our need for salvation. And what the gospel says, if you've never heard you know, that defined, this word gospel that we throw around a lot, it simply means good news. And it's good news because God actually gives us his love and acceptance not because of what we bring to him, but in spite of it. That God loves us and accepts us because of what Jesus has done on our behalf, not because of what we have done for ourselves. And so Jesus begins to break down this mentality of transactional religion and he begins to show them and show us how deeply we need him. How much more we need his sacrifice, his love. It's not what we give God, but what we get from him and what Jesus has done. So that's what he's been doing throughout this series. And he's usually, again, appealing to an Old Testament foundation or particular laws or particular quotes even from the Old Testament, and then showing how that's been manipulated. So what's the foundation for what he's talking about here? Well, interestingly, this is one I think that is oftentimes pretty confusing for us. And Jesus doesn't quote directly, but he does pull um, pretty strongly from a passage in Exodus 21, and from Leviticus uh, 24, I think, and from Deuteronomy 19. And the implication is, when somebody has wronged you, You can only take an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. So let me just kind of cast the picture a little bit. In in that time, remember we've talked in the last few weeks about how um, God's law was supposed to to elevate some particular things that were being denigrated by the culture of the day. And so in the Old Testament time, oftentimes if you were to answer that question, what do I do when somebody wrongs me? The answer could be, well, kind of whatever I want. So if somebody stole my donkey, um, you know, I can get frustrated. I go burn their house down, right? Or if somebody wounds me, maybe breaks my arm, you know, I can kind of go the Sicilian justice route, you know, and I can take out one of their children or I can kill that person. If somebody has wounded me by offending me in some way, then I can damage them. I can hurt them physically. You, there was no kind of, um, there was no punishment that fit the crime. And what God's law does actually in saying an eye for an eye is actually start to even the scales and to promote justice. And to say, listen, if somebody gouges out your eye, you can't go take their whole head. You can take one eye. That's justice. If you're in a fight and somebody knocks out one tooth, you know, it is not right for you to go and knock out their whole mouth. That's not justice. And so God's law actually begins to put limits on retaliation. It's not there to impose retaliation, it's there to actually limit retaliation so that people can't go overboard, so that there's actually justice being done, so that the punishment actually fits the crime. Another thing to really remember, and I think a very key element to all of this, is that this kind of law was given to the judges of the day to enforce. It was actually given as a governmental enforcement It wasn't given as a personal vendetta kind of enforcement. So that when you went to the courts and you said, I've been wronged in some way, the judges actually had something to base justice upon. And say, okay, now we can look at what it looks like to give kind of just measurements, to give just um, punishments for crimes. 
That's what God's law was intended to do. It was intended to set the floor so that you couldn't go below it into this kind of crazy, unjust society where really all bets were off and it was kind of a free-for-all. You could do whatever you wanted. It was there to set the floor for justice. So that's the Old Testament background. Well, what Jesus does here is actually pretty remarkable. What he does here is pretty amazing, is, is in actually talking to these people who had, again, manipulated this such that there was less of a limit and more of an enforcement of, you know, if somebody takes your eye, you've got to go take theirs, right? That's just kind of, they've injured your honor, so you've got to go and retake it. Well, instead of, uh, instead of actually just reinforcing the floor, Jesus starts to call his disciples out of that. He calls them to something greater. Jesus tells his disciples, it's not... It's not any less than justice, but it's so much more. In fact, this is, this is the standard of justice. You can't fall below that, of course. But let's now talk about what it means to be in conflict with somebody and not simply seek what is just, but let's seek what is loving. And Jesus says something that's really completely radical in many ways. And the, the words, the phrase that we're going to use to talk about what Jesus says here is sacrificial Engagement. Remember again, kind of our culture says, if there's conflict, if you've been wronged, your two choices are this. Either you can retaliate and fight back, or you can remove yourself completely. But Jesus does something pretty remarkable. He says, no, let's actually talk about this. If, if, if you're wronged, let's say somebody slaps, say somebody insults you, which is what the slap on the cheek would have been. So Jesus' example there of a slap on the right cheek is, is probably talking about an insult, kind of a backhanded slap, more than it is about some sort of abuse. So if somebody abuses you, or, or excuse me, if somebody uh, insults you, you, instead of retaliating and giving them the insult back, or instead of just leaving and kind of bailing out of the situation, what Jesus says is, we're actually called to stay in it and give grace. To actually practice the grace of sacrificial engagement with that person. And if somebody wrongs you by suing you for your cloak, and the people of this time would have worn two garments, one inside, one outside. And so he's saying if they sue you wrongfully for that outer garment, give them the inner garment too. Instead of retaliating, requiring that garment back from them, or just leaving the situation altogether and saying, well, we'll just forget about it and kind of sweep it under the rug. What Jesus actually calls his disciples to is sacrificial engagement. Being in it and giving grace. And when somebody kind of abuses the situation to force you to go uh, a mile with them or an extra mile or two, Jesus says instead of kind of requiring repayment for that or of bailing out of that relationship, to stay in it. Instead of taking something back, to actually give, give, give. Now, you may be thinking, okay, well, I've never been slapped on the cheek, or I've never had my cloak, you know, sued for. Um, people don't usually ask me to walk a mile for them, so I guess, you know, we can kind of check out of this discussion. But these kind of things happen to us all the time. It was just a couple of weeks ago that I was in my car and I was driving somewhere and pulling out of the, my neighborhood and pulling onto Walnut Boulevard and I was turning left. And there was a car, there's a lot of traffic, and so it was kind of hard to get out and turn left from where I was. And there was a car that was in the turn lane waiting to get over to get on. So I sat waiting for the car that was in the turn lane to move so that I could pull into the turn lane or just pull into the lane. 
Well, there was a truck behind me that just didn't want to wait at all. And so instead of waiting for both of us, he just pulled around me and pulled around her and wheeled his way out into the street. It infuriated me. Infuriated me. For some reason, I just thought, you know, well, you can't do that. You can't just drive around me. You know, how dare you? And so, you know, I floored it. I pulled up beside this guy. You know, I was just like raging mad. And I pulled up next to him. I was going to give him a piece of my mind. And uh, it just so happens that um, we both came to the red light. So here we are, stopped in traffic next to each other. You know, me fuming mad. And this guy, you know, beside me, you know, in this truck that's kind of up here. And I roll my window down. And he rolls his window down. And, um, you know, I said, you cut me off. And he said, yeah, you weren't going anywhere. And I said, there was a car. I was waiting for the car. And he said, okay. And then the light turned green. And he left. And I was just, and for like 30 minutes after that, I mean, it's like my face, I think, was bright red. I was how in the world could I be so wronged? And it was, I didn't realize until later, like, how silly is this cry for justice? That I didn't get, you know, five feet to the red light that I had to stop to anyway, you know, five seconds beforehand because this guy kind of cut me off. You ever had that happen to you or feel like that? (laughs) There's a lot of murmuring there. How about this one? Oftentimes, unfortunately, too often, I can feel wronged by Joy, my wife. She's done something that has upset me or that has offended me or that has wounded me in some sort of way. And instead of going to her and saying, sweetie, let me tell you how I'm hurt. Can we talk about this? I just kind of go icy cold. I put on this passive aggressive attitude and I just kind of remove myself a little bit. And, you know, my feet stomp just a little bit harder, but not too bad. Right. So that it takes everybody about 30 minutes to go, dad. Is something wrong? You know, and for Joy to say, hey, is something going on? Is something wrong? And of course my response is, no, fine. Fine. You ever experienced that one? My children are not allowed to raise their hands on those questions. Or how about this one? And your work environment. You've got a coworker. Who's perfectly nice, who's a friend of yours, who works hard, who's good at what she does. And it just so happens that she gets a promotion. Well, it wasn't necessarily the job that you were looking for. You weren't really competing, but just kind of that idea that she got a promotion. And you start to feel like, huh, I've been here like three years longer than she has. You know, and uh, I mean, I've got all kinds of skills and experience and I didn't get a promotion. And so you start to kind of remove and pull away or, or throw these little kind of darts out every now and then that are, that are little, little darts, words that are supposed to, to wound, to make her, you know, know that, hey, you really didn't deserve that promotion as much as I did. Ever experienced that before? In all of these situations, Jesus is actually calling us away from those things that we oftentimes tend toward, which is either retaliation and anger, or it is removal and taking ourselves completely away from the situation, either in a passive-aggressive way or simply out of complete physical removal from a relationship. Jesus calls us to something that is remarkably difficult, 
It really is. To actually stay in a relationship and give grace rather than to give justice. To stay in a relationship and to sacrificially engage another person. To give of ourselves when something is taken from us. And to do so in a way that is loving and serving to them. Let me broaden this just a little bit bigger with a couple of other examples. Have you ever, in Christmas or Thanksgiving or whenever it is kind of your yearly time where you see extended family, experienced this phenomenon, which I think happens a lot. Everything is fine kind of with family until you get all that family back together and then all of the family dynamics that were in place 25 years ago when you were in the same house, they all start back again when you're together for Christmas or for Easter or for Thanksgiving. And the older brother who was kind of always the golden child is the golden child again. And he's kind of controlling. And the younger sister who's always kind of felt like she's the one who's the victim all the time, she starts playing the victim again. And the absentee alcoholic mother is absentee. And the father, who's jolly but just kind of doesn't really engage with people, uh, he's, he's disengaged during this time. And he's not really engaging your children. And it's all just kind of happening again. Everybody just falls into their same roles. What do we do with this? Well, we can kind of retaliate with this sibling rivalry. Or we can remove ourselves completely. In cynicism, or simply physically remove ourselves by saying, we're just, we're just not going to be there at all. And let me be clear, I think that there are some times for that. There are certainly some times where that is a wise choice. But let me just put this out to you. What would it look like in those situations to practice sacrificial engagement with your family? To be there and in it and to give them grace to sacrificially engage rather than to try and win or to remove. Just one example. Here's another one. The realm of politics. We're in a state right now, I believe in our country, where we have two options it seems like we've been given. That is either to fight as hard as you can to win for your side, whatever that side is, or to remove yourself from the discussion altogether. There's, there's, a, there's an entire generation of people who have just decided, you know what, cynicism is really the only option when it comes to politics. Because this whole thing is a mess, and so I'm just out. I'm not playing that game. And then there's another generation, or not just generation, but a group of people who have said, no, no, we're in it, but we're really in it to win it. And this is about a fight, a conflict. What does it look like... Even This is broader even probably than when you were wronged, but just simply to be with somebody who's different than you are, what does it look like to be sacrificially engaged in that political discussion, whether that's broadly or one-on-one? What does it look like to know somebody and understand their point of view in a sacrificially engaged way, rather than these two options of either winning or bailing out? What does that look like for us to be sacrificially engaged with the people around us? It feels really hard, doesn't it? It's really hard for me. As I read this, the more that I read this, the more that I looked over this passage, the more I thought, um, this feels impossible. This feels impossibly difficult. (laughs) And in many ways it is. But the beauty is that what our Lord and Savior has actually done is exactly this. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, prayed, Lord, let me bail out. 
Let me get out of this. And he had the chance to say, I'm out, I don't want to do it. And instead he said, not my will, but yours be done. He engaged fully and he went willingly to the cross. And Jesus on the cross, instead of raining down retribution on those who had unjustly crucified him, he was, he's the commander of the armies of heaven. He could have called down fire from heaven or angel armies to wipe everybody out. Instead, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus is engaged. He is there. He is in it. He is not bailed out, but he's in it not to give retribution, but to give grace. Friends, when we approach God, let me just say that justice is not what we want. We do not want an eye for an eye from God. We do not want retribution for God. Because what we deserve is condemnation, is punishment, is death. What we want from God is sacrificial engagement with us. And that is what Jesus has given us. He has given us mercy and love and grace. And friends, it is because of what He has done for us. It is because He has actually renewed us, has changed us. He's promised actually that the Holy Spirit is at work in us that we can even begin to practice sacrificial engagement for one, with one another. When we face conflict, when we face difficulty, when we face either interpersonal or cultural conflict in our lives, we can, because of Christ's work in us, sacrificially engage rather than fight or remove ourselves. We're going to spend just a few minutes pondering that. Uh, we will pass the plates for an offering as well during that time, but we're really going to ponder what does it mean for us to be sacrificially engaged with one another. Let me pray for us, and then we will spend a little time reflecting. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you, Lord, that you are not only our model in what it means to be sacrificially engaged, but, Lord, you are Savior in this way. That you have come and you have said, I'm not removing myself from those who have run away from me. In fact, I'm inserting myself in their lives. And I'm going to come do it in a way that lays my life down for theirs. Lord, that is amazing. Lord, will you show us what that means in our lives? Will you show us what it's like to be able to lay our lives down for others? to sacrificially engage what you've put in front of us. We pray all of this in the name of Christ. Amen.